listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. All right, welcome to a new episode recording this on Sunday night after the Lakers. Looked to me it was going to be a close game against the Hornets, but they pulled away pretty nicely uh, late in the third, early in the fourth for a 120-101 win. Lakers now 2-1 and one on the season. Looking at their schedule, I think they could realistically be sitting at about 14-4, and four, maybe even better than that, 15-3 and three or some point, 18 games in because their schedule pretty cupcake-ish right now going forward. Uh, again, this is a part of the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. Don't forget to subscribe. You can rate us. Even if you want to give us a bad one, feel free to do that too. No one's going to judge you for it, but definitely subscribe and check us out at silverscreenandroll.com. We have you covered for everything Lakers, new stats, opinions, and analysis, and much more. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Lakers SBN. Joining me today, been on the podcast with me before. She's also a part of our team at the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. Also covers the WNBA for The Athletic, uh, Clips Nation, uh, Sports Illustrated, Dynamite, whatever else. I mean, she does everything. Sabrina Merchant. Sabrina, what's going on? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Jess. No, no problem. It's always, always good to talk uh, Lakers hoops with you. So this game today, I got to admit, through the first quarter, I was... I think the Lakers looked great in terms of offensively. They were moving the ball well. AD had that big first quarter with 16 points. Uh, LeBron sitting back a little bit more. But I thought they looked pretty fluent, and and they're getting a little bit more comfortable. Again, I'm not going to jump the gun and say, well, but game three, they should look like X, Y, and Z. No, for game three, they look a little bit more comfortable than they did in game one. My my thing is the defensive effort, a little bit slow on the on the rotations getting around. That was causing, to get, uh, causing the Hornets to get to the free throw line a whole bunch. Only shot 10 for 35 from three-point line, even though they did have quite a few open looks. But, I mean, that changed in the in the late third quarter, uh, early fourth quarter, where the, where the Lakers went on a run. What do you think the difference was in this game and, and why the Lakers were able to pull away so much and, and look a lot better in the second half than they did in the first? Well, I think the key was something that was very similar to what happened in the Utah game on Friday. They put in Alex Caruso in the second half, and all of a sudden you have some ball pressure on the perimeter, and some stops get a little bit easier to make, and that turns into easy offense, and... I feel like we say this all the time, but <laughs> he's the Lakers' best perimeter defender, and you can see it just over and over again. Yeah, it's a weird. It's kind of a weird thing. Like I'm like, okay, this guy's not playing at all in the first half, and just kind of sitting there. And it must be weird for an NBA player too. Like, okay, cool, I'm gonna sit for the first two quarters. He could probably stay in the back and have a hot dog and a soda, and then come out for halftime. <laughs> um, why do you think Frank Vogel has been so hesitant to play him in the in the in the first 24 minutes of the game? So I understand he has his starting rotation with Avery Bradley and Danny Green, and like logically that makes sense. Uh, Green is obviously the best player within that backcourt rotation, and Avery Bradley's preseason earned him that starting spot. That's totally fine. Uh, it seems like uh, maybe it's like kind of trying to retcon the sense of last season, but the Lakers are so concerned with getting shooting on the court, and when you have guys with reputations like Quinn Cook and Troy Daniels who are just born gunners, there's a temptation to want to surround LeBron with players like that. And I feel like that's just the first instinct for Frank Vogel, at least at the start of the season. Um, but, I mean, like you said, the when the Lakers look a little lackadaisical on defense and they're not rotating quite quickly enough. And, I mean, Quinn had just like a parade where he just kept sending Devontae Graham to the line. Uh, that's when it becomes very clear that we need two-way players at the yeah. guard spot. And that's what Caruso provides. Yeah, I think I mean he's he's looked uh, he had a terrible preseason, right? Let's just call mm-hmm. it spade a spade. I mean, oh yeah, terrible. Looked awful. Yeah, and, and and I think you know I was joking around uh, previously on the podcast that I'm like ah maybe being a part of the all meme team in the summer maybe got to his head a little bit. And he got too much <laughs> on uh, on wanting to be a superstar, but I feel like he he's starting to settle into his role now and realize like look, dude, we don't need the Lakers don't need you to come in and score 15 points a night. Just come in, defend, 
hit some open shots when you're given the opportunity, and you'll do you'll do what that what the team needs you to do. And I think that maybe he was playing a little bit too. I don't know if he was putting too much pressure on himself in the, in the beginning, but I feel like he's he's starting to kind of find his footing. And and you were mentioning the, the starting lineup a bit there too. Um, you know, it's it's been Anthony da- Anthony Davis, LeBron James. JaVale McGee, Danny Green, Avery Bradley. I like what that, that lineup has been able to do, especially defensively. I think AD has been great. Uh, and he had three blocks again in, in the win over the Hornets. And he's also is altering a ton of shots. Like, you know, the team's coming down the lane, and even if he's not getting a hand on it, uh, he's making the guys think twice and maybe putting him into a little bit more of an uncomfortable spot with that. But uh, are you happy with how the starting lineup ha- has looked so far? Or like a, at a guy like Dwight, uh, and if you didn't get a chance to check out the game, Dwight Howard, a beast in this one. Eight for eight from the field. 16 points, 10 boards, uh, finished with four blocks, had energy, looked like a, a 2009 Dwight Howard. Uh, do you look at maybe sticking him into the starting lineup for JaVale, or do you just kind of roll with roll with what they're doing so far? I think the defense has been good enough in the starting lineup, even with JaVale kind of being a net negative or zero or however you want to classify it thus far. There's enough going well in the starting lineup that I like having that option to bring Dwight off the bench to just introduce a little extra energy, sort of like how Caruso brings that extra energy when he comes off the bench. So I think, especially because most of the players on the bench are so much more defensively challenged than those in the starting lineup, you need to have that anchor of Dwight Howard in the back that JaVale just isn't quite that guy. Yeah. So even though Dwight has played better than JaVale McGee thus far, and generally speaking, I think you should play your best players in the starting lineup, there is something to be said about fit. And for now, the fit works with Dwight in the second unit, especially because... I mean, I hate to, like, cater to professional basketball players' egos, but JaVale McGee, like, threw a freaking temper tantrum last year when he beats a Zubac, took his minutes, and I don't want that happening again, at least not this early in the season. <laughs> well, you know what? If JaVale decides to throw a tantrum this time, I, I think it's safe to say they can, they can just tell him, say, you know what, homie, go home, right? Yeah. <laughs> we got Anthony Davis. We got Dwight Howard. And, and I, you're right. You know, you, you look at the – these guys do have egos behind the scenes, and they want to play, and that's why – when you have guys on your team like Jared Dudley who are like, cool, you can play me 15 minutes, you can play me zero, but when I'm out there, I'm going to work my work my ass off to, to do the best I can. And and so I'm hoping that JaVale does kind of accept the fact that, hey, you know what, you're going you, to, you, you're starting, you're starting center on the Los Angeles Lakers, that's nothing to sneeze at. And if you're looking at it like, okay, you might be playing, you know, sometimes you're going to play eight minutes, sometimes you're going to play 15. It's going to be matchup dependent and, and depending on how you're doing, because I mean, he, he looked good offensively finishing five of eight. Of course, he doesn't create a lot of his own shots. A lot of those come off of uh, backdoor cuts or he's the open man when, when the help side comes comes over and he's kind of just under the hoop for a little dish there but when I'm looking at this team like I, I like the fact that Frank Vogel is, is going to stick with I hope he sticks with this lineup for now because I think when Kuz comes back and, and you know he's, he's starting to get into hopefully get into contact drills and, and five on five a little bit more this week and, and start ramping it up but when he comes back how much do you think that's going to help the team? I think it'll help significantly in the second unit just in terms of bringing another ball handler that can create his own shot because the, the Lakers sort of have like a division of labor on their bench players where there are guys who are ball handlers, which is a very slim proportion of the players, and then there are guys who can shoot, but none of their players really have that in the same package other than like the brief moment where Quinn Cook is able to drive and generate his own shot at the basket, which is so very fleeting. <laughs> um, so Kuz is one of those guys who can actually has a more complete offensive skill set than the rest of the bench. And I think that the team has been lacking that quite a bit. And then it also just gives you another option where you can go a little bit smaller because he can play the four, he can play the three. And so you can put him next to Anthony Davis at the five, which I know the Lakers are loath to do for obvious reasons. But you can also put him next to like Dwight or JaVale at the five and LeBron at the three. And that's a reasonable lineup because 
I don't think the Lakers really have a backup power forward right now other than LeBron James, who is also the backup small forward. So it's just a tricky little forward depth situation. And, and the backup point guard and the backup yeah. center. LeBron, LeBron's pretty much <laughs> doing everything, right? Right. So Kuzma just has that little bit of that positional versatility that will help stabilize the rotation. So you're not seeing these like Troy Daniels or KCP at the three moments, which, I mean, sure, they're fun for offensive firepower, but it's not sustainable in the long run. And one thing I want to update uh, people on as well, there was uh, reports of uh, Anthony Davis maybe having a bit of a shoulder injury. Uh, He did reportedly say there's nothing wrong with it, so nothing to freak out there. Uh, He did have to leave the game a bit early again. It was, it was out of hand at that point when he started going back to the locker room. So we're not going to sit there and get uh, and get too concerned about it. He should be okay. Uh, again, we don't know what's going to happen by by tomorrow morning. But uh, get, getting back to what you were saying there, Sabrina, when when you're talking about KCP, Troy Daniels, and these guys, and I, and I've said this a few times too on on the podcast and. When I'm looking at, at at this roster, it's like, okay, once Kuz comes back, yeah, you're expecting him to be your sixth man. He's got to come in. I, I don't think he'll score at quite the clip of a guy like uh, Lou Williams, and pun intended there, at the clip of, of Lou Williams. But uh, <laughs> uh, when you're looking at uh, when you're looking at when Kuz comes back, like, yeah, that's going to be his role. Like, you're going to be our third offensive guy when you come off the bench. You kind of stabilize that second unit and give us a little bit of offensive firepower. But in the meantime, you don't you're not expecting like we don't they don't need Troy Daniels to to score. 15 points a game. They don't need KCP to score 15 a game or, or, or Dwight Howard. It's like in the meantime, you just need one of those guys to step up and have and have a good game in, in terms of offensively. And and I think that that's where Frank Vogel has a little bit of an advantage with this. I mean, I, I don't think the Lakers branch is is top five in the league by any means, but I think it's in the top half of the league in terms of options. Where do you think they fit in compared to the rest? So I think you hit on something important that the None of the players on the Lakers bench have ever really shown the level of consistency to be counted on to provide 10 points a game on a regular basis. And for that reason, I think the Lakers bench isn't one of the better ones in the league just because individually there's their skill sets are so limited, right? Like Troy Daniels, we saw what happened when he tried to run a little backup point against the Clippers. It didn't go very well. No, no, and, no it did not. <laughs> you know, Quinn Cook has his defensive shortcomings to put it mildly, and KCP's head's all over the place, and he just goes and does random things sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, everyone on the Lakers bench, like while they are capable of having their moments where they look like exactly the archetype of player that you want to surround LeBron James and Anthony Davis with, there's all those other moments when it's just maddening to watch their inconsistency. And I think that's the main problem with the bench, is that Vogel's going to have to like push a lot of I mean, he's going to have to make a lot of the right calls because you never know on any given day who's going to pop. And, you know, against Utah, that was Troy Daniels. Against uh, against Charlotte today, I mean, Quinn Cook looks good on the offensive end, and then he also got burned several times on the other end. So it's it's just it's going to be like a continuously evolving exercise to figure out which guy you want in which situation. And, I mean, they have enough players that you can just, like, keep trotting out to, like, figure out which one works, which is a nice luxury to have during the regular season, but at the same time, I feel like it kind of complicates the decision-making because I don't think there's going to be like any guard that just separates himself and says, I demand all of these minutes, and that's what's going to make Vogel's job a little more challenging. Yeah, I I, I think that's where, when I was watching, again, I there and say, wow, you know, that loss to the Clippers really showed a lot because, yeah, the teams, I mean, you're, you're still figuring things out in this Lakers roster had a ton of turnover in the offseason. A lot of these guys, you know, weren't here last year, so they're figuring it out too. But when I look at the depth of the Clippers, 
and and I look at the options they have off the bench and guys like you you know Jamichael Green and 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 you got Montrez Harrell who's a beast. I mean, I just love the way he plays. I love his game. And mm-hmm. you don't have those kind of guys on the Lakers where it's like, yeah, okay, we know that that you know X, Y, and Z are going to be our like. I think Kuz is. Uh, depending on, again on what Vogel wants to do, I do think that Kuz is going to be set as as the sixth man coming off the bench, and he'll be playing mm-hmm. crunch time minutes in the fourth with with AD at the five and probably Kuz and, and LeBron at the forward spots. But when you, when you look at, at at how this team stacks up in terms of the depth, and I agree with you because it's like you can't look at this and say, hey, we're going to put this into these are our top eight guys, and this is who we're going to roll with. Some nights it's going to be uh, behind Kyle Kuzma, you're going to have Dwight Howard and, and Alex Caruso playing more. Or you're going to have uh, you know, Jared Dudley say, all right, you know what, he's looking good, so let's give him some run. Or Troy Daniels shooting well. Do you think that that hurts or, or helps Frank Vogel going forward to have all these options? Or do you think it shows, hey, you know what, maybe the Lakers don't have the time to top-end depth off the bench like a team like the Clippers do? I think both of those things are actually true. Um, during the regular season, I feel like it's very helpful just because of natural wear and tear and attrition to have like a, a good chunk of players to be able to call on where the quality, there isn't a significant drop-off. You know, like right now, Kuz and Rondo are hurt, and I imagine at later points in the season, though, knock on wood, it shouldn't happen, other players will get hurt. And so you're going to need, you know, Daniels to be able to step in or Cook to be able to step in when other guys are unavailable, and that's just to be expected during 82 games. So the fact that there is a, a reasonable level of quality across the bench is an advantage. But like you said, there's, there's none of that top-end talent like what the Clippers have or what Denver has or, um, I don't know, you know, Utah's bringing Joe Ingles off the bench. Like, that, that's a, a higher caliber of player than what mm-hmm. the Lakers have, unless, you know, Kuz shows something that he hasn't, you know, during his first two seasons. And I'm, I'm very high on Kuz. It's nothing against Kyle Kuzma. It's just he hasn't been that player during his first two seasons. So, I mean, the level of talent that the Lakers have in their best five is so overwhelming that, I tend to not worry about the bench issues so much when we get later into the season, but it's going to be something that, you know, is a little bit annoying to watch <laughs> during the regular season. I anticipate because there's just these, these players have flaws. There's a reason they were available, you know, once the Lakers had to wait out Kawhi Leonard and on the cheap, like they weren't the top of the line free agent class, right? Like there were the players yeah. who had to wait for the Lakers and the players who were available and, like I'm, I think that the Lakers did about as well as could be expected with what was available, and you know I generally think they did a much better job building out the roster than they did last year. But uh, there's still flaws, you know, and that's they're going to be visible throughout the regular season. Yeah, I, I, I think they're going to be more visible against the top end teams, and and mm-hmm. I think that's where that's where I'm looking at at this end. Because let's be honest, yeah, last year. Uh, it, I think some of the diehard Lakers fans, which we know there's a ton out there, were probably looking at it and saying, this is a championship team with LeBron and Lonzo Ball and, and Brandon Ingram. And, and you know, whereas I think the more realistic people looked at it like, yeah, the Lakers could get into the playoffs, maybe win a round. But I, I don't know if they had the depth to, to, to make it to the conference finals, not the finals. They weren't going to beat a team like Golden State last season. But when you're looking, yeah, it's a championship squad. It's got championship aspirations how does it stack up against some of those some of those other teams like you mentioned the the clippers and the denvers and, and the utahs who, who are probably going to be right up there at the top of the west uh come time for for march april when when teams are jockeying for positioning and, and i think that's one thing where the lakers are a bit a bit deficient in how how are they going to stack up against you know what they're playing every two nights especially as you get later into the play 
first round's a little bit more forgiving because you got you know three, four day breaks in between for the TV schedule, and then you get into the second and third round where you're basically playing every second night, and maybe a guy like LeBron at 35 is going to start wearing down and needs that. So that's where I think that someone like Iguodala would be a huge boost for this team. Like, do you think that's going to happen at some point that that Iguodala is going to be playing with the purple and gold? It's so funny how often I talk about Andre Iguodala on these shows. I think I we mentioned Iguodala's name more than like. Five of the guys actually on the Lakers <laughs> roster. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, like I, you know, it's it's been said before, but it it bears re-mentioning. He fills every single gap the Lakers have on this roster. He's a playmaker who can run the second unit. He's a fantastic wing defender. He has playoff experience, and when you get him, he's probably going to be coming off of a good six months of rest, so he's going to be fresh and ready to go for the postseason. So yeah, I mean, if the Lakers could get Iguodala. I would feel 35% better about this team's chances in the postseason. But 35 is pretty good. That's a, that's a significant number. We're not talking 5%. 35% no, no, this is like, a yeah, okay. <laughs> I think the reason I keep mentioning Udall is because I genuinely have full confidence in what he could turn the Lakers into. But I don't know. I, I, I like the team the Lakers have now. I think yeah. they showed some really good growth in that second half against Charlotte. Like, I've been impressed with Frank Vogel's willingness to at least even if I don't like the decisions he makes in the first half in terms of rotations he shows a willingness to adjust in the second half which is just a monumental growth over what Luke Walton did last year like his speed of reaction is so much quicker um (laughs) he did say post game that you know like Caruso is making him have to think about how he's gonna play him you know like he has his plan a which I get the preseason made it very clear that Avery Bradley and Danny Green should be the plan a but, you know, it's only three games in and he's already being forced to reconsider. And I like that he's acknowledging that and he's, you know, mixing and matching different things. And there aren't too many LeBron AD less minutes. I think there was like maybe 90 seconds in the first half of that and quickly went away. Um, <laughs> you know, like there's there's a lot to like here, even without Andre Budala. And I think we're starting to see, you know, just how high this team's defensive ceiling is, which is not something that I was considering going into the season. Yeah, that's that's one thing actually we I want to touch on. The, let's get into the defense and, and a couple more things after a short break. All right, and we are back. Uh, Sabrina, you mentioned defensively. I mean, this team, look, again, I'm going to go back to that first loss against the Clippers. I, I was scared watching that. I was like, okay, this team looked really slow defensively in terms of rotating. They didn't look like they were in sync. I didn't like that they weren't uh, switching a lot of the screens. And, and I think it's better to, uh, if you're going to go with that kind of system, have the, have the defender who's getting the screen set on him wants to switch it or he wants to try and through it and and then I saw you know last game against Utah they started switching a bit more and, and maybe it was dependent on the certain player, or the matchup that, that they were going with but the last couple of games the effort's been there and when you when you see a guy like Anthony Davis doing what he's doing and, and I want to get into Dwight Howard a bit too but Dwight Howard coming off the bench uh bringing the defensive energy he's bringing and of course Avery Bradley Danny Green these guys have been around the league a long time known for their defensive prowess um when you look at, at how this roster can is currently constructed how good do you think the defense can be? Is it a top five defensive team with, with things that you're seeing right now? Or is it a top 10? Where, where do you think kind of the, the ceiling is for it? I think with Anthony Davis at center, this is a top five defense. Hmm. But I understand that he is not going to play center for the majority of the minutes. And yeah. what's cool is that I think those bench units with Dwight at center, provided you put like Caruso in there and um, either LeBron or Davis power forward, you know, there's potential for those units to be really good too, even though they can't switch because Dwight's not really that kind of defender. I think them just uh, closing out the three-point line and 
counting on Dwight to contain the closeouts worked really well against Charlotte. So they can play different ways just depending on whether they're playing a traditional big at the five or, you know, playing small. And they have the capability to defend really well in both of those scenarios, which is really interesting. I, I, I mean, I watched a lot of Avery Bradley on the Clippers last year and I was not impressed with his defense, but I think he's been better this season and he's good at the point of attack and he's containing his fouls, which is really important because that that was like his major bugaboo last season. And like I said, Danny Green's just phenomenal defender, great in transition, like just so solid. You don't have to worry about him making any mistakes and to have those two on the perimeter and then LeBron James and Anthony Davis backing them up is just, it's a real like embarrassment of riches. And I don't, I don't know why I didn't notice that during the preseason, maybe just because like JaVale doesn't inspire a ton of fear for me as a defender in the paint, but they've looked very good on defense when they've been locked in. And that's like, this is the third game and that's, that happened more in this game than it did in the first and more than it did in the second. So there's a definite progression on that end of the floor. And I don't think they're going to settle in as a top five defense, just because like I said, I don't think Davis is going to play the majority of his minutes at center, but I think this should be a top 10 defense as currently constructed. You, you mentioned AD at, at the center, right? And, and we talked about that. I think everybody has been on the, on the same page from before the season that potentially your best lineup is AD at the five, LeBron and Kuz, and like I said, Danny Green and whoever the hell house they're going to have coming through that revolving door. Right now, it's been Avery Bradley. Uh, could be Alex Caruso. Could be Rondo. Who, who knows what happens by the end of the season. But mm-hmm. Dwight Howard. Um, people were just like, what the hell are the Lakers thinking bringing him in? Everybody still remembers what happened that 2012-2013 season. This dude has come in and been awesome, right? Like, let's just call it what it is. He's been great for what he's doing. I, I was surprised the fans were going nuts for him. You know what I mean? Like, I thought mm-hmm. he'd have a have a transition point in terms of uh, trying to um, trying to kind of trying to endear himself back to the fans again after after what happened last time. But he's been he's been really good. Like I mentioned uh, earlier, sixteen points, ten boards today. And if you're looking at at, at his season so far uh, against Utah, he had some good minutes: two points, seven rebounds. Um, again, just active on the defensive end. And then against the Clippers, uh, I don't think anybody really looked that great uh, against the Clippers other than, other than Danny Green. But when you look at what Dwight's bringing so far, why do you think he has looked so good? Because I, I looked at it like, okay, he shed off all that weight. I mean, the guy looks like he's sculpted from friggin' stone, right? He looks like a statue <laughs> when you look at him, like his body. But when, when you look at him, like, why do you think he's been able to, to, to look so good? Because when I when it coming into the season and I saw some of the, the moments that he had in the preseason, I, I said it a few times on, on Twitter and stuff I was like you know what Dwight looks like the type of guy who he'll probably have five or six you know 20 and 10 games this season and now that I've seen him play and and seen what he's bringing I'm like I wouldn't be shocked if he had you know maybe 10 15 games where he was putting up 20 and 10 or or 20 and 15 in spot minutes why do you think he's looked so good so far I think Frank Vogel is the type of defensive coach who builds his systems around guys like Dwight whereas like the way the league has been evolving in the last five or six years has gone away from that traditional paint-bound rim protector that Dwight Howard excelled as during his Orlando Magic days. And wherever he went, like, he wasn't... No one built their system around him. So he wasn't in the position to succeed on defense, but Vogel's letting him do exactly what he's best at, which is just stay in the paint, protect the basket, and that's that's what he can do, right? And he's, like you said, he's in great shape. Um, Or he looks to be in great shape. He's never going to be in, like, you know... Superman dunk like contest me. shape, right, yeah. but, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. but you know he's he looks way better than he did in Washington or in Charlotte or even in Atlanta, 
it's funny. I was watching this game thinking like Dwight Howard's going to have so many revenge games throughout the season. Oh yeah. yeah. I, was, <laughs> I was joking before this one. I'm like, it's a Dwight Howard revenge game, right? right? Take, it, take it on the Hornets. And he kind of did come out and play like it. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's like an entirely Dwight Howard revenge season, which, you know, I'm all for it. So one, I think the system makes a lot of sense for him. Like, I mean, the Lakers obviously don't switch one to five when he's on the floor, but they can switch one to four and, you know, make it easier for him just to protect the paint. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, I hate to just buy into the whole, like, uh, you know, we've sublimated his ego and I'm here just to, like, do what's best for the team. But it's got to be a little concerning to be on a day-to-day contract. Like, I don't think we talk about this enough, that Dwight Howard could literally be cut tomorrow from the Lakers and not be guaranteed any more money. And that is a powerful incentive to do your job the right way. Like, Yeah. You know, yeah, it's... Yeah. And, and he's not right. guaranteed anything beyond tomorrow, so he has to keep playing well today. And Laker fans, like, yeah, we absolutely hated him in 2013, but anyone who plays well for the Lakers, like, be it someone as insignificant as, like, Marcelo Huertas, will just draw love from the crowd instantaneously if things start going well. So, you know, when he did, like, he he had that block when Caruso was containing, like, at the first line of defense, and they both fell, and he did, like, a little barrel roll on the ground, and, like, everyone was dying of laughter, and then he did, like, the little Dikembe Mutombo, you know, finger wag to the crowd, like. He's he's having a good time. Like he's definitely toning down the personality in his interviews. Like he's so subdued when he talks to Trudell afterwards or in the locker room. And I think it he's definitely aware of his how he's perceived around the league that he's not a serious guy, so he's making the effort to appear that way off the court. But it seems like he's having fun again. Right? Like the yeah. Dwight Howard that I saw in this game, like I haven't seen him have that much fun since he was in Houston. And that's yeah. It's just a good way to play basketball, right? Yeah, no, I mean that's and that's what you should be doing, right? And then I think when when you're playing the way he looked at, um, you know, especially in, in in Washington was was such a small thing, but I mean, you know, in Charlotte and and uh, you saw him in Atlanta and all this stuff, and and I think he's overthinking it. And I, again, I'm not saying this because I know Dwight Howard personally and I've talked to him about it. I'm just saying from what I see, and and I actually thought that today too when when they were playing the Hornets, like yeah, he's he's sitting there having fun and, and getting into it with the crowd because there's no pressure on him. He doesn't have to come in and, and, and carry the team. He's not the top gun, whereas I think maybe he felt that he still had that in him in his previous stops. And now you look at it, well, he's insulated by by LeBron James, Anthony Davis. Um, you know, he's not going to be out there for, for 30 minutes a, a night. You know, maybe he is, depending on how well he's playing. But I agree with you. I think you're just having fun. And you mentioned that, the contract thing, like, Dude, you make okay. You can make one or two mistakes. I think going forward, and maybe say something dumb to the to the media, or or act like a jackass on the court. One, but if you do it two or three, four times, yeah, there's a chance you're going to be not only out, off the Lakers, you might be out of the NBA come time for January because people are like this guy just not worth the headache. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, I don't think it worked for every player, but a player that has had as many second chances as Dwight Howard probably needs that kind of structure. And kudos to, you know, Palinka in the front office for coming up with something that creative and that brutal to get him in line because admittedly only three games in, but it's working. Well, I wish I had many seconds in the NBA as I did with my ex a topic <laughs> for, for, a- I want to wrap up on this, Sabrina. There was now Frank Vogel uh, here today. This was, this is before the game started leaking out. And see, Boogie Cousins playing this season. Now it's not going to happen anytime soon. It's, but you know, he tore, had the ACL injury happen in August. I believe it was August the 16th. And and if you're looking at it, you know, you're probably looking at eight nine months from there. Maybe maybe April, May, right as the playoffs are, are rolling around. Um, when you're looking at him, 
is there is there anything that that you that you think could go a hundred percent well for him, or like what would you expect for Demarcus Cousins if he's back with the Lakers at some point? I'm assuming that Demarcus Cousins will never suit up in a Laker uniform. Wow, because okay. I I mean. So the Warriors just had this conversation about Klay Thompson where they don't expect him to play this season. And he tore his ACL in June. So at least, you know, six weeks ahead of DeMarcus Cousins. He doesn't have the series of leg injuries that DeMarcus has, you know, the quad tear and the Achilles all in the same leg. So if Thompson isn't going to be rushing back to make it in time for the regular season and DeMarcus Cousins, who had a later injury than Thompson, is thinking about it, I just... I can't imagine that is going to bode well for his recovery. Like Cousins is at the point where his career is potentially in jeopardy if he doesn't properly rehab this injury. Yeah. That's three devastating injuries to the same leg and he's a big man and he you know he was never in the greatest shape before to begin with. So the way I see Cousins' season progressing is he needs to just do a complete reset and however long that takes there should be no rush to get him back on the court. And, I mean, maybe he'll show up on the Lakers 2020 or whatever, but I don't expect him to play at all this season. I think it's nice that they're keeping him around so that he has positive influences while he's rehabbing, although I'm still concerned about the allegations from Alabama and whatever his legal situation is. But I don't think it's reasonable to expect him to recover in that time frame. Like, an ACL tear is usually about 11 months until players come back. So if he's, if DeMarcus Cousins is shortening that timetable, that concerns me tremendously. Yeah, and, and, and uh, you're looking at that the same way I am too, because I'm like, dude, you, you barely, you know what I mean? Like your, your injury history obviously is nothing that is, is comforting to, to mm-hmm. a team who has to deal with it. And like you mentioned, he's going to have some of the legal issues, which might turn into a sideshow for, for the team once he's back too. But I agree. I'm like, I, I, I would have almost preferred the team to take the cautious approach with this rather than saying, oh yeah, there's a chance we can see him because then that's going to be like an underlying storyline throughout the rest of the season is like, especially as you get towards April, like, oh, how's Boogie progressing? And, mm-hmm. and is he, how's he looking in practice? And I think what, like what, what Steve Kerr did with Clay Thompson was right. Like he got hurt in June. Uh, we might not see him the whole season. And it's like, if you do get this pleasant surprise for everyone, like, Hey, you know what? Clay looks good. He's coming back. Whereas there's kind of be a thing of, well, maybe this team's going to get Boogie back. And especially if, uh, hoping it doesn't happen, but let's just to JaVale McGee where the team's depth, you know, kind of lacks, especially up front. You're going to start having the pressure of like, oh, you know, Boogie, he can't play. Can we bring Do you want a dude who's coming off that many injuries? And like you mentioned, he's a big man, uh, tougher to stay in shape, carry more weight. You want him trying to force his way to come back and then and kind of I, I just don't think it was the right idea. Again, if he comes back and he been close to it, I think but I, I just don't see it happening. Yeah, and like you you mentioned Golden State, right? And we could take it back to the finals last year too where I just think they did a poor job of managing the narrative around those injuries like with Kevin Durant. It's just mm-hmm. so easy to just say we don't expect Marcus Cousins to play this season, but we'll have him around the team rehabbing, you know. Like that's that's all you have to say. <laughs> and then yeah. if he does come back, then it's a story, but I just like you said, it's just creating this unnecessary distraction, which the Lakers are so good at doing. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was Magic Johnson's fault. I thought it would kind of stop, but now <laughs> we're starting to see that. Okay, maybe he. Well, he wasn't a great. He was a terrible executive, but maybe you know that affects lingering down to, to Rob Palenka now. 
Uh, yeah. I want to wrap up on this, Sabrina. Last, last question for you before, before we finish up here. When you watch three games, and again, relax anyone who's listening. I'm not saying, well, three games, you know, they, they should have it all figured out. I understand. It's going to be a process. If they're having some struggles at 30 games, okay, we could talk about them then. But just through three games of the season, is there anything you're, you're seeing with the team that might be concerning you a little bit right now that you're looking for them to fix going forward? So this is probably still just an overreaction from the Clippers game, but I am concerned about the lack of a ball handler on the floor when LeBron James is resting. Hmm. And like we saw that to great effect against the Clippers because they had the type of defensive pressure on the perimeter that prevented the Lakers from even meant to getting entry passes into Anthony Davis, whereas it hasn't been as big of an issue against lesser teams like Utah and Charlotte, which I really should not be putting Utah and Charlotte in the same yeah, sentence, yeah, but here yeah, we yeah. are. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, that's kind of concerning. I think um, like the, the spacing has generally been pretty good. Like The offense has looked a little rudimentary thus far, but that just seems like a consequence of playing in game three. Uh, you know, the defensive effort wanes and waxes and that's again all growing pains as you put together a team that i think is bringing in nine new players from last season so other than that like the fact that we still don't know what's happening really with tail and horn tucker and that kuz is still out those lingering injuries worry me just a little bit i think i'm a little jaded from these last few years of Mm -hmm. having watched the lakers although there is a new training staff in place so you know hopefully that's not an issue but when the team gets healthy, I think some of my uh, anxiety will start to abate. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it. You know, we'll, we'll give it about another 15, you know, 15, 20 games. And then we'll, we'll do this again on the podcast and we can talk about some of our concerns then. Because by the looks of it, Sabrina, we're probably two of the more, I, I don't want to say negative, but pessimistic, pessimistic <laughs> Lakers, Lakers media people. Yeah, you know, I, I just like to think of it as realist, you know. That's right. Yeah, been around for right. a long time. <laughs> We've seen enough to know that, you know what, that uh, Troy Dan to the second coming to Clay Thompson. So excuses if we don't want to hop on that train. Uh, Sabrina, always fun. Always fun having you on. Thanks for thanks for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. It's always fun to talk after a Lakers win. All right. That's Sabrina Merchant. You can check her out on Twitter at Sabrina J.M. Uh, S-A-B-R-E-E-N-A-J-M. And don't forget to follow us as well at Lakers SBN. Uh, you'll have guys like Harrison tweeting all, all game, and they're, they're pretty damn funny, so don't miss that out. And, of course, subscribe to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. You can catch us on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, you name it. We are there. And, again, like I always say, don't forget to subscribe. We've got new shows coming out uh, five times throughout the week at least. And uh, we also welcome your questions and comments, whether it's good or bad. Don't feel free or don't hesitate to, uh, to leave them for us. That does it for this episode. Lakers sitting at 2-1. and one. Next game coming up on Tuesday when they take on the oh who do, who are they playing again on Memphis Tuesday? Let's, Grizzlies. Let's the Memphis Grizzlies. That's right. I was going to say Dallas, but that's next Friday. So Tuesday at home against Memphis. So we're hoping the Lakers are sitting at three and one. All right, that is it for this episode. I'll catch you all next time. <laughs> <laughs>